First Kings chapter number 19, and I'm going to get right into this today, and I realize that I'm going to preach prophetically today, and when this happens, sometimes people feel as though um, this message may go over your head, and listen, this is for you in your home, um, but I have a deep concern for men and women of God in our country and where we are as the body of Christ in the United States of America. So from a prophetic perspective, I will tediously approach the threshold of this message with a cautious spirit to tell you that God's going to do something huge in all of our lives. But there is a position and a place, there's an attitude that we must all adapt our spirit to in order for God to do what he is about to do not only in this nation, but throughout the whole world. Somebody shout revivals on the way. First Kings chapter 19 and verse number one. And Ahab, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when Elijah saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. And Elijah said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. Comparisonitis is the worst disease you will ever have. I'll say it again. Comparisonitis is the worst disease you will ever have. He said, I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and he lay down again. That's strong. And the angel of the Lord came again. Say these three words with me. The second time. Say it again loud. The second time. And touched him. And said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. I'm going to preach a message for the next three and a half hours. That is entitled, The Journey is Too Much for You. Say that to three people around you. The journey is too much for you. If I could subtitle this message, I would call it these words. The power of a second touch. 
Say that with me. Come on, the power of a second touch. Let us pray. Father, I pray that there's an open heaven over this building today and that revelation, illumination would happen in all of our lives. That you would open the eyes of our understanding because what we understand cannot be taken from us. That's what you said. So we pray, God, that you would do what only you can do and let revelation run its course in all of our lives. I speak to every principality, every power, every spiritual ruler in heavenly places in this region, this territory, in this entire state. And I tell you, you are bound up by the name of Jesus Christ. And we say every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, Jesus, we thank you for hanging high on that cross and spreading your arms wide, taking nails in your hands and your feet and a spear in your side, that you would die for our sins, that you would be buried, and on the third day, you would raise again. And now, Lord, we celebrate you as king and final authority in all of our lives. Can you give Jesus, the risen Savior, a good praise right now? You may be seated. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came again. Thank God. The angel of the Lord came again. The angel of the Lord came again. Wait, the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. May I read it from the Message Bible? The angel of God came back. Shook him awake again and said, now get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. The NIV, the new intelligent version of the Bible. <laughs> renders it on this wise, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. And said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Now, this passage of scripture is intriguing to me for many reasons. Number one, I believe that men of God in this hour are at a critical crossroads in the history of their ministry, the history of their lives. I believe the body of Christ rest in a period of time that we've never seen before. The whole earth is groaning that the sons of God may be revealed. Manifest manifestation is only a thought until it becomes a reality. 
Manifestation is only a thought until it becomes a reality. If Romans 8 is true and the earth is groaning for the sons of God to be made manifest, on, then we have to think it before we will see it. It's very important for us to track with God. Track with God. Tracking with God is equated to walking in the spirit, according to the book of Galatians, that we should walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. Walking in the spirit keeps us in tune with what God is saying and what God is doing. Most theologians approach this chapter. Oh, and what a chapter it is. 1 Kings 19. They approach this chapter with a perspective that leans toward a real dramatic illustration of a man of God who is in deep depression. 90% of theologians and commentaries will reference this chapter as a chapter where a man of God is found in deep depression. Now, I tend to agree with the idea that a battle is absolutely occurring in the mind of this man of God. However, I believe the depression he is dealing with is a side note to his mission, to his mandate, and to his mantle. I don't want you to lose me, please. Please don't allow your mind to wander at this point. Please stay with me. I'm going to say it again. Please stay with me. I would say that yes, there is a battle occurring in the mind of this man of God. But the depression he is facing is a side note to his mandate, his mission, and his mantle. It's a side note. It's not the theme. It does not embrace the whole content of what is happening. It's a side note. I say that in order to emphasize that the mantle does not dismiss the potential for fear and depression to show up in the life of a prophet or in the life of anyone else. Because you are anointed does not mean you are not human. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered. So the imagery that we all have painted 
that certain men and women of God, because of their level of whatever, do not go through things that everybody else goes through, is the biggest fallacy that's ever been sold to the people of God. It's a lie. So I have an agenda this morning. My goal today is to shift the narrative. My goal is to shift the narrative from a despondent man of God to a destined prophet. Destiny will always defeat depression. Destiny will always defeat depression. Destiny will always outlast despondency. Destiny will always have victory over discouragement. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of how you look at it. Depression will come. Despondency will come. Discouragement will come but it will not override or overwhelm or conquer your destiny. I just told you, if it shows up, it can only be with you for a phase, for a moment, for a season. This is why the Bible says weeping may endure for a night, there's a limit on it. But here's your guarantee. Joy comes, not might come. Joy comes in the morning. Joy comes when? Joy comes after weeping. Weeping comes. But it won't endure Joy shows up in the morning. Hmm. The journey is too much for you. I'm going to let that rest. You. You. The journey is too much. It's too much. The journey's too much for you. Hmm. Journey. To travel from one point to another point. Journey. To move from one place to another place. It's a passage through childhood, youth, adult. That is called journeying through time. I can see that some of your brains are now containing a measure of fog. As you try to delve into this particular subject with me, your minds are starting to wander. But I'm gonna stay my course. If you catch me later, that'll be fine, but the train is not stopping for you to get on. 
I told you early, stay with me. That's the people of God. We are continually moving. From the beginning of time, there is progression. There is movement. There is journey. <laughs> journey is the way, is the direction. The most correct definition of the word journey in Hebrew is the course of one's life. So when Elijah hears from the messenger, the journey is too much for you. Here's how he hears it. The course of my life is too much for me. I don't know about you, but that insinuates there's going to be some things that's going to take place that I'm not ready for. There's going to be things that happen that I can't control. And those things are going to be somewhat overwhelming. And without something else involved in your life, it is going to cave the infrastructure of your particular personal character to shreds. So there must be another entity involved. There has to be another entity. There has to be another entity involved. Or you're not going to make it. Hmm. First Kings 17, let's back up. Elijah shows up on the scene and says, hey, my name is Elijah. And it's got not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Now hold on a minute. Just hold on. Every other prophet, every other man of God in scripture comes with a warning. The warning comes by way of genealogy. This man begat this man, this man begat that man, that man begat that man, and then this man said or did. Not Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 17 says Elijah the Tishbite who was of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab. That's how he's introduced. Elijah the Tishbite of Gilead. Gilead means a mountain of testimonies. It's a rocky region. You can't grow nothing in Gilead. It's not fertile. It's feudal ground. But he came from there. And he just shows up and says, Ahab, it's not going to rain till I say it's going to rain. Pretty strong. Huh. And it's going to rain according to my word. Let me walk you through some things with this guy. For the sake of time, I'll walk away from my iPad. Because if I stay with it, we will literally be here three hours and 33 minutes. <laughs> Elijah shows up, and Israel is in a mess. Who is Israel? The people of God. Can you say it with me? The people of God. And the people of God have a man ruling over them named Ahab. 
The Bible will tell you in 1 Kings chapter 16 that there were none more evil before or after Ahab. Ahab is Elijah's assignment. Elijah shows up with no fair warning. With the prophetic word, it's not going to rain till I say it's going to rain. Right after he speaks these words, you can track with me if you would like in your Bible. The Bible says that God speaks to Elijah and says, go to Kareth. Oh, Kareth. Kareth means the place of covenant with God. It literally means the cutting of that covenant. Kareth. It's a brook. It's right before the Jordan. Go there. And I will send ravens to feed you. What should be eating your food is going to be feeding you. And don't move from there until I say move. And there in the place of covenant where God says I will supply all of your needs and I'll do it with stuff that you could never imagine you going to learn to trust me at the place of covenant and the ravens come and feed him and he's drinking from the brook of the covenant and the Bible says suddenly the brook dried up what do you do when you know you are at the place of covenant? What do you do when you know you are at the place where God told you to be? And suddenly the very thing he's connected you to dries up. There's no more sustenance. There's no more substance. There's no more sustenance. There's nothing coming from it anymore. It's dry. What do you do when you are where God told you to be and you ain't getting nothing from it? I don't know about y'all, but at that point, I'm packing bags. I'm out. But not the man of God. The man of God sits by a dry brook and he waits till his next Word. Unlike us, we are wanting the next word when we never did do the last word. And sometimes the last word will tell you to stay where I have placed you until I say something else. In other words, if I ain't saying something else, stay right where you are. Preach in this building here. And the Bible says he stayed there until the Lord spoke to him again. And he said, now get up from there and go eastward because east is always the direction of a new beginning. He said, and go to Zarephath and you shall find a widow there. The Bible says he goes to Zarephath. He finds a woman there. He walks up to her. 
He looks at her and she, he says, give, give me something to eat. And she says, I don't have anything but a little flour and a little oil. Listen to this man of God. Then go in there and bake something for me and bring it to me. She's saying this is for myself and my sons. He said if you will give me what you got, God will give you an endless supply of what you need. I'm going to go ahead and preach it. The Bible says she stay, he stays there. He eats and he drinks what she gives. And the Bible says that God began to multiply what the woman had until she had more than enough. That equates to two people being obedient to one word. While in Zarephath, God says, now I want you to move from Zarephath and go show yourself to Ahab. Everyone say Ahab. Now watch what happens. It came to pass, now we're in chapter 18. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. And he said, go show yourself to Ahab. And I will send rain on the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab. When you get down to verse 21, something very interesting transpires. Because when he shows himself to Ahab, the battle now incurs. Whew. Elijah sees what's going on with the people of God. And in verse number 21, he goes before the people in front of Ahab. And he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And he tells them, get bulls for the sacrifice. And he says, bring them down and build an altar. 450 prophets of Baal come out. They put their bull on the altar. And Elijah says, call unto your God. And the God that answers by fire, he is the real God. The Bible says they begin to cry unto Baal with no answer. Now Elijah is not a nice prophet. Elijah begins to mock them. And he begins to say, maybe your God is busy. Or maybe your God is traveling. Or maybe your God is just not listening to you. He says, now take my bull, but before you do, listen to Pastor Rick carefully. Let me rebuild the altar of God. Where we are right now is that the church needs to come back to a place where we rebuild not our own altars, but we rebuild the altar of God. What is that? 
See, the altar of God is where you give everything up that you have and you say, Lord, it is not my will, but your will be done. And after he repaired the altar of God, they put the bull on the altar. And Elijah said, that's not enough. He said, bring water and pour it all over the altar. They came and they put water all over the altar. And he said, it's not enough. Bring some more water and put it on the altar. They came the second time, put water all over the altar. He said, it's not enough. He said, go get some more water and pour it on the altar. They went and got more water. They poured it on the altar. And then Elijah stood back and he called on God. And the Bible says God answered with fire. And it licked up the water, the bull, and all the stones that were laid at the altar. But you must understand one thing. That this happened in regard to Elijah referencing a history. He said we must go back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I came by to tell you the church is trying to go forward, but God is telling us we need to go backward. We need to get back to where we came from. We need to get back to the altar. We need to get back to sacrifice. We need to get back to surrendering. We need to get back to lay your all on the altar. We need to get back to surrender all to the Lord God Almighty. See, we are at a place where we've been giving him half, part, some, but God said, I'm either the Lord of everything or I ain't Lord at all. How long? Hold ye between two opinions. If you're going to serve God, serve God with everything that you have. Wake up every day. Lay your hands on your children. Plead the blood of Jesus over your babies. Lay your hands on your spouse and tell your spouse your best days are in front of you and not behind you. You are everything I dreamed of. You are everything I prayed for. You are everything I believe for. Get up and walk around your house and say, Lord, I plead the blood over my address. I plead the blood over my property. I plead the blood over my dog, my cat, my horse, my cow. I plead the blood over my couch, my chair, my dining room table until everything you have belongs to God. If he's your Lord and Savior, take 15 seconds and get on your feet and praise him like you love him. Somebody bless him. Sit down just just for a minute. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry, y'all. Y'all sit down just for a minute. I'm going to go ahead and preach the whole message. I looked at it. I looked at it. I looked at it. And a lot of times we just read scripture in portions. Do you understand me? We read in portions because we want that right now. So we take it out of the very context that it's resting in. 
and we try to apply it to something it has nothing to do with. That's incorrect homiletics. May I say your hermeneutics are totally jacked up. After all this demonstrative God answering by fire, this dude now has been fed by ravens. Stay with me. Lord have mercy. He's gone to a widow's house. He's eaten stuff she gave him. She's multiplied. He's now in front of Ahab. Fire comes down from heaven. I would say that's a pretty good resume. Are y'all still here? I would say that's undefeated. You're not you. I would say that's, under, that's not good enough for you. Okay, watch this. He's going to tell Ahab, okay, my God just won. My God just won. And he says, oh, gird up your loins. Because I hear the sound of abundance of rain. Now, hold on. He's the one that said... It's not going to rain till I say so. Now he's saying, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. In other words, he cannot say what he has not heard. Well, y'all just missed that there. A lot of people trying to say stuff. You ain't heard it. It ain't your word. He said what he heard. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Gird up your loins. Read the Bible. Now this man outruns a chariot with horses. Now hold on. This is getting too ridiculous. He's been fed by ravens. Eating at a widow's house that's poor. Are y'all here with me? He's done called down fire from heaven and now this man's going to outrun horses? Go ahead then. Go ahead. Outrun the horse. This man. I love it when he does that. I love it. I love it when he does that. This man. Let's go through it again. Let's get it right. This man has been fed by birds that's supposed to be eating his food. This man has now multiplied a widow's supply and he himself has been satisfied. This man is called down fire out of heaven, killed 450 prophets of Baal. Now this man is out running chariots? That's a pretty good record. Woo. That's his past. I don't know about y'all, but my past don't look that good. Can I get real with you? His past is just cool. That's where he's been. Can we skip over something? Let's skip over the juniper tree, please. Do you mind? Thank you very much. Let's, get, let's go to the other side. That's where he's been. But where is he going? 
Verse 9 of chapter 19 says he came to a cave. And he lodged there. And God said to him, what, what are you doing here, Elijah? Like God didn't know. Here's an omnipresent, omniscient God asking Elijah, what are you doing here? Isn't it interesting that God always asks us that when he already knows? It's not about him, it's about you. I already know where you are, but do you know where you are? Elijah, locate! Locate, Elijah. Where are you? What are you doing here? You know, you know what happens. He's in this cave, and the word of the Lord comes to him where? In a cave. How does it happen? There's an earthquake. There's fire. I'm, I'm not going to read it. We'll be here all day. Then there's wind insinuating the idea that when the earth quaked, Elijah ran out to see, is that you, God? Mm. Then there's fire, and, and Elijah's used to fire. That's surely God, and there's no word. Then there's wind, and he runs out, and God still doesn't say anything. And suddenly, there's a still, small voice. Isn't it amazing that we always run after grandiose stuff? Yeah. If it's big and dramatic and grandiose, we got to get to that conference. I'm one of five million, but I'm here. We, it's big. It's huge. If it's not grandiose, it's not God. And you know what I've learned in walking with God in ministry for 40 years? It never was the grandiose. All that is is pep rallies. The big stuff happens in small spaces. Is that why Jesus said when you pray, go in your closet? Because that's the smallest room in your house. Big word comes in tight spaces. Say it again, Pastor Rick. Big word comes in small spaces and the still small voice and watch what the still small voice says go forward stand number two and get before God the still small voice gives three specific instructions go forward you know, I hear God telling the people of God in this hour, go forward and stand where? In the opening of the cave and get with God. The question is, are we really getting with God? Are we going forward? Go forward and stand. When you've done all you can do to stand, stand there for, stand. And the still small voice speaks to him. Now watch what happens when Elijah hears this. Oh, by the way, this is still my introduction. And I'm not kidding this time. I'm being very serious. But I'm going to go ahead and preach if, you know, all of you have to go. I'm, going to pre I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone. So I'm enjoying it. So I'll just keep going. When he hears the still, still small voice, the first thing he did is wraps his face in his mantle. 
When facing the unknown, put your face in what is known. He put his face in his mantle. If you would stop trying to fix the problem and keep your face in your purpose. Then a face in purpose makes the problem look small. A face in the problem makes purpose look small. He wrapped his face in his mantle. Before you face your future, face your call. Who am I? When you have your face wrapped in your mantle, you smell yourself. You feel yourself. Oh, for men and women of God, husbands and wives, preachers and prophets, that will put our face back in our mantle, insulate your head with your call. And he puts his face in his mantle. He faces his future by looking at his mantle. Who, Lord. Winning so far, right? Well, that was the past, and that's where he's going, but now can we get to the text? <laughs> Ooh, I love it. I love the word. And I love when God messes with me. I do, I do, I do, I do. If you know anything about me and my ministry, then you know I love great introductions. I love taking words that start with the same letter and preaching messages off. You know that, Vicky. You know that, huh? I love that. You know why it's easy? That's the way I hear God. It's a beautiful thing. And then God shows up. What's the date? 10, 10, 21. That's interesting in itself. 10 is the number of full circle. Hmm. Completeness. And God goes, I'm not giving you three words with the same first letter. I'm going to mess with you. I'm not even going to let you go through the history in a chronological chronological order it's not going to be one two three it's going to be one three two and after I got the word I realized why he gave it to me like this because chapter 19 verse 1 is in the middle chapter 19 and verse 1 is in the middle it's in the middle of earthquakes winds and fire at the end and brooks and ravens and oil and flour at the beginning with fire. And then in the middle, victory over here, victory over there. But in the middle, Ahab told Jezebel. But in the middle, Ahab told Jezebel. Dead gummit. Dang. <laughs> Told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. 
So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Just like you killed my 450 prophets, I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. <laughs> and when he saw that, he ran. One mad woman is worse than 450 prophets of Baal. No, that was a joke. I was, just, I was just kidding. I thought I would just lighten the atmosphere. Jezebel, who is this girl? Unhusbanded. She's married. But she's Jezebel. Unhusbanded. Non-cohabited. Without cohabitation. The first thing she does, according to chapter 18 and verse number 2, is Jezebel cuts off the prophetic. I should say verse 4 of chapter 18. I'm sorry. She cuts off the prophetic. For it was so when Jezebel, Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord. Here's what she did. She found the source of life to God's people, and she cut it off. Man, I'm preaching good. She cut off the prophetic. She found the source of life to God's people and she cut it off. She cut off insight when she cut off the prophetic. She cut off foresight when she cut off the prophetic. Watch this. She cut off oversight when she cut off the prophetic. The Jezebel spirit will always attack insight, foresight, and oversight. The Jezebel spirit will always attack insight, foresight, and oversight. What are the signs of a Jezebel spirit? First of all, it's not restricted to gender. As a matter of fact, I've seen the Jezebel spirit work more with men than women. The Jezebel spirit is fiercely independent. The Jezebel spirit loves to dominate passive people. The Jezebel spirit is intensely ambitious for preeminence. The Jezebel spirit is determined to be in control. The Jezebel spirit, and you can study her life and you will see all of these characteristics, must be able to dominate relationships. And by the way, for those of you who think that's an Old Testament woman, you better read the book of Revelation. Because the spirit of Jezebel runs through the cosmos of etymology like no other spirit. The end times Jezebel spirit will be more prominent than any other spirit. She must be able to dominate relationships. The Jezebel spirit will listen to it. Hold on, River. Hold on, son, just for a minute. I know, I know it. Stick something in his mouth. <laughs> the Jezebel spirit, don't miss this now, will take on a submissive servant-like attitude only for the sake of gaining a strategic advantage. The Jezebel spirit, 
the heart is never totally yielded to anyone. Hmm. The Jezebel spirit in females, when it's on females, seeks out passive men like Ahab. Men who were either ignored by their father or dominated by their mother. Oh, Lord. You can study it for yourself. You can do it. Where is the Jezebel spirit found? Usually found in people who are insecure. The Jezebel spirit is attracted to people who are always vain. The Jezebel spirit gets on a people with a victim mentality or an entitled mentality. One or the other. The Jezebel spirit energizes domineering people. What is the ultimate goal of a Jezebel spirit? To control. Ooh, Lord. So if I have to manipulate the situation to get control over the authority, then I'll do it because I want my way. I'll lie, deceive, whatever I have to do with any authority that is anywhere. If he's wearing a badge or carrying the Bible, it don't matter. Because no one has authority over me. I'll tear down whatever I have to tear down in order for me to have prominence and preeminence. That's where we are today. When filters are gone, respect is lost. When buffers are removed, violence is in line. Fuchsia Pickett, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of her. She, one of my best female friends before she died. And I met her in her old age. She was the mentor to Miles Monroe. She came and preached her last message at my church. And she looked right at me and she said, Pastor Rick, the spirit that will dominate the earth in the last day. She had to sit in a chair. We had to wheelchair her up to the pulpit. She said, we'll be the Jezebel spirit. Be very careful, my son. Be very careful because the Jezebel spirit will always try to dominate you. It will always try to control you. Hmm. She said these words. Jezebel's spirit shows up most prominently in the leadership of your church. It will position itself in a place of influence to pull people away from your direction. She said it maneuvers itself secretly until it can gain the confidence of those that it seeks to influence. I'm going to say it again. It maneuvers itself secretly behind your back, Pastor Rick. They will make you think they are your best friend. And secret. They are maneuvering themselves to gain the confidence of those they have influence with. 
and you wonder why I lift an eyebrow at some of you when I know who you've been hanging out with. If you think my eyebrow is coming down when I look at you, you're sadly mistaken because I know where you've been. So let that rest with you because I'm not changing my mind about you. This region is steeped with a Jezebel spirit. I have never in 40 years met a more entitled region than this region. Never. I have preached all over this world. Oklahoma, you are a new breed. Feel rebuked. Feel it in your soul because I don't care. Hold on. I don't want you to clap. You want control. You want to know why we do it like that. Where is that money going? Who are you? Where did you come from? Nowhere. I just showed up. Gilead. Ron Carpenter really messed me up. I told him, he said, are you going to take that church? And I said, no. He said, why? I said, because I don't want to. He said, well, I am sorry. God sent you to Norman. I said, you have lost your mind. He said, you have to go to Norman and you listen to the words. You have to preach against the Jezebel spirit. He said, the strong man in that region is a very entitled strong man. They want what they want. Now let me hug you for a moment before you get offended. You are the nicest people I've ever met. I'm still not lying. Ask anyone that I've talked to about this region. I said you'll never meet nicer people. Then what's the problem? You'll never meet meaner people. It's going to get quiet in this building, be half full next week, and we'll just keep going. But I came after Jezebel today. Here's why. Here's why. Jezebel is controlling government. Jezebel is controlling the nation. Jezebel is controlling states. Jezebel is controlling cities. Jezebel is controlling churches. The Jezebel spirit comes across as very religious, often appears very loyal, often volunteers for any special service. And it was this spirit that sent this man with all these victories into the wilderness. 
wait a minute. You've done all this, and you're going to let one woman send you into the wilderness, and then you're going to get under a tree and tell God, kill, kill me, kill me. That's deep. Because the Jezebel spirit will make you wonder if you're hearing from God or not. It'll make you wonder if you can even preach. It'll make you wonder if you called, got a mantle, or you anointed. You'll, you'll go home and scratch your head and say, did I say anything? Whew. I love you. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about this region. If you adapt your relationship with the Lord to the religious spirit of this region, you will never advance the kingdom of God in a very aggressive, violent way. You will always be the passive Ahab that couples with that spirit and allows things to go on that are rebellious, that do not respect authority, that have no order. Okay, go ahead, Pastor Rick. I made a grave mistake of talking to my grandchildren the other day about school. And they start talking to me about furries. I said, furries, what is a furry now? And they said, well, it's kids. It's a lot of kids that come to school wearing animal costumes. Like they're a cat. And they don't talk all day. If you're a cat, you hiss. <laughs> and if you're a dog, you bark. And that's how you communicate. No, I'm talking about here in Norman. You're a little conservative Norman. They're furries. I said furries. So what do they do when the teacher talks to them? They hiss. Oh, that's not all, Papa. When you come to school, you write down what you want to be called. So even though your name is Jack, you can write down, I'm a pit bull. Call me pit bull. So then they have to call you pit bull because that's what you wrote down. No, I'm very serious. This is your little Norman, your little sweet little Norman. Pastor Rick, that's at school, but what about here? Oh, let's talk about here. I'm amazed at some of you that allow your children to say yes to you and not yes, sir. I'm, a, I'm amazed at some of you that allow your children to say what instead of sir, ma'am. You, you amaze me. And the spirit of Jezebel that is on you is now on your kids. And this is what makes a man of God that's been in ministry for 40 years go in the wilderness and say, what in the heck am I doing? Huh. Getting tied in this room. Getting real tight. He went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat down under a tree and he said, Lord, kill me. Just kill me. And he fell asleep and the angel of the Lord came. Boy, you ought to read it in the Hebrew because in the Hebrew it says that the angel kicked him. He says, get up. Eat. He got up. He saw the, coal, the, 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 the coals and the bread. He ate. 
Some of y'all are looking at me funny because your kid wore a cat costume last week to school. <laughs> hey, let me, let me ask you for a favor while I'm railing people out this church. Just cause your kids say what to you and call you by your first name, please don't allow them to do that to me. Because here's what's going to happen. There's going to be an argument between me and you. Because the next time one of your kids come to me and say, hey, Rick, it's not going to be good. Then you're going to get mad at me and I'm going to get mad at you. So go ahead home today. Sit at lunch and tell your children, do not call that man of God Rick. You are a kid. He is a man. If you can't call him pastor, call him mister. But don't call him Rick. I just need to fix that because I'm real weary with that. I'm real weary with that. And you on Facebook blowing up a nation in your house looks like crap. You blowing up a nation is jacked up and your house ain't got no respect, no authority, and no order. Hush your mouth, man. Just hush your mouth. Fix your house. We have in church, man, we have church and people standing out in the foyer during worship. I don't like that kind of music. Well, go find a church where you like the music. Go find, a, go find a church where you like the music. I don't like the way Pastor Rick says, I don't care. No, you're used to that guy over there that gives you circuses and ponies and camels and whatever else you want. I'm not that dude. This ain't that church. No, you say, Pastor Rick, how can you be talking to us like this? Read the Bible. Read the Bible at the respect in the New Testament church. Read the Bible about elders and those that handle the word of God being worthy of double honor. This region don't know nothing about that because you're used to just take and take and take and take. It's all about you. And you wonder why preachers in this area fall and they get on drugs and become alcoholics and they walk away from their churches. It's because of you. You wearing these men of God out because you want what you want. And if I don't get what I want, I'm taking my family across the street. Get across the street. Get across the street. You're not threatening me. I don't care. I told the Lord if it went here today, it would be his fault. Because I could feel it going that way. Forty years next week I've been in ministry. This man traveled 40 days and 40 nights on the strength of a second touch. I'm going to tell you something. I've been praying, God, give me 
if you don't, give me that second touch. Now, some of you are looking at me like you don't need a second touch. Some of you never received the first one real good. But the Bible says he lay back down and he slept. Now, to me, the sleeping part is as important as the eating part. Because when you're sleeping, you're not in control anymore. Man, I wish some of y'all knew me. You know, I used to be a really mean pastor. I really did. Because I knew how I was living and I was doing the best I could do. I didn't tolerate very much. I remember going into a building one time of 4,000 people on a Sunday morning. And I'd heard about certain people saying certain things. And I asked them, did you say that? And they said, yes, I said that. I said, okay, then you're going to get called out in service today. They said, you're going to call them out in service? And I said, yeah, because the Bible says mark those that cause divisions among you. See, you won't bless those. You don't want mark those. So I just walked in, and they had nerve enough to sit on the second row. So I just called them everyone by name. I said, now, y'all, every one of y'all causing trouble in this church. Now, I'm going to ask you to leave, stay in the body of Christ, because Jesus loves you, and you need to be a part of the family of God, but not here. There's a lot of good churches in this city, but you are not assigned to this church. See, if that happened in this day, if I called somebody out in here today, all y'all would leave. Because you know why? You scared the next one going to be you. So here's, here's, here's the word of the Lord. He fell asleep and while he slept, the angel came back a second time and said, arise and eat. And watch what he said. The journey is too much for you. I preached this whole message to tell you that's what God has been telling me. The course of your life is too much for you. And it's too much for you. Without the bread of heaven, Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. Without the bread of heaven, you're not going to make it. It's too much. It's too heavy. People are going to destroy you. The enemy's going to destroy you. But if you'll eat, if you'll receive the bread of life into your life, you can go on the strength of that food for another 40. Somebody shout another 40. You can go on the strength of the bread of life for another 40. Can somebody give God praise right there? Amen. Hallelujah. God is good, isn't he? I'll end it. I didn't know it was going to go that direction. Boy, I, 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 can I tell y'all where I thought it was going to go? I thought it was going to go. And the Lord. The Lord said, you need your second touch. Get to the altar today. Receive your second touch. The Lord is in the building. And you're going to get your second touch. Not just your first touch. You're going to get your second touch. And you might get a third touch. Whatever touch you need, the Lord going to give it to you today. Come on down to the altar and get your touch.
That's where I thought it was going to go. Well, it didn't go that way today. Butch, you've known me too long, man. All right, now watch this. This is what gets me. Tell it, River. Tell it, Bubba. I know it. Tell it. Tell it. I don't know if he's telling me to stop, Daddy, or keep going. Watch this. After all this happens, the Lord tells Elijah, and I'm done. You're going to like this. Go back the way you came. The word of the Lord to this church is go back the way you came. Return to your first love. Things have gotten too messed up. Go back to Jesus. Go back to the cross. Go back to the blood. Go back to the word. Go back the way you came. I posted on Facebook, what kind of preaching do you like? I thought 10 people would respond to that. 92 comments later, I gave seven choices of what kind of preaching you like. 92 comments later. You know what I decided? From reading, oh, I studied it, man. Added it all up, tabulated it. You know what number one was without any competition? Expository preaching with revelation. Apostolic anointing. Preach with volume. And I thought, I've been doing that 40 years. I think I'm going to start doing the popular thing. Put the headset on and walk around and just talk. And just tell stories. But you know what I found out about this generation? They really want you to preach the truth to them. And they want you to preach it with everything you got. So get ready. Tell your neighbor, we're about to go back the way we came. The old saints used to say, you better dance with the one who brung you. Amen. Tell somebody, you better dance with the one who brung you. <laughs>